Hello, everybody. This is Vance coming back at you. VegCast. And yes, you guessed it. This is VegCast 86. VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. And yes, I know that didn't rhyme, but uh, you can't make all of them rhyme. I'm breaking out of that pattern. Uh, just There are just so many things that you can rhyme with six. Now, this is Vance, and I am back from Summerfest. We will be having our Sounds of Summerfest edition of VegCast, our annual Sounds of Summerfest, next time in VegCast 87. But uh, first of all, I wanted to get right to this interview uh, that I did that we had tried to set up before Summerfest, and uh, logistical factors interfered. So we recorded the interview at Summerfest, and this is Mary Beth Abrams. She's the author of The Four Ingredient Vegan with Ann Dinshaw. And uh, we're going to talk to her about vegan cooking made easy or made to look easy at any rate uh, by only using four main ingredients. That should be a lot of fun. We also have a lot of fun song from Maggie Pearson, EJ. Uh, You've heard them before on VegCast. You're going to hear a new piece by Maggie Pearson, EJ. And we also have a science fact about a completely different type of animal that has now been attributed the power of speech. Uh, Pretty interesting science fact there. That's all coming up. So I invite you, as always, to sit back, relax, crank up your MP3 player as we deliver this edition of And VegCast is sponsored by LightLife, makers of Smart Dog, Smart Ground, and more. Find them at LightLife.com. Veggie goodness for you and the planet. And we will turn right away now. Since we have waited so long, uh, you didn't realize you were being made to wait so long for it, but you have waited so long to hear from Mary Beth Abrams. I have known her since my very first Summerfest, since I think the first session at my first Summerfest with a conversation about whether I would write something for Vegetarian Voice. I've gone on to write many things, many cover stories for Vegetarian Voice and done uh, various things in conjunction with the North American Vegetarian Society. And uh, Mary Beth was uh, kind of instrumental in getting that to happen. So she's an old friend, a dear friend. And as I say in the interview, I kind of just jump right into this rather than giving her background. But we do eventually get to that. Let's listen. Okay, we're talking now with Mary Beth Abrams, one of the authors of The Four Ingredient Vegan. Mary Beth, thank you for joining us on VegCast. Hello, Vance. Hello. And uh, it's good to be talking to you. We're here at Summerfest. And, of course... I know you uh, through Summerfest, and uh, so it's a special time and everything, but we're here to talk about specifically this new cookbook, which I'm very excited about uh, because I am a lazy cook, and uh, I hate, I'm not lazy, I, I don't mind putting a lot of effort into cooking, I just, I don't like trying to keep track of a bunch of ingredients and worrying about whether I have something and, and especially like I'll read an ingredient list and, and for some reason when there's a lot of ingredients I miss things and like I I either think that I saw something or, or I think that something should be there and I can't find it and then it is there and I so I looked through your book they're all very very basic and simple what uh, made you and Ann Dinshaw decide that this was a book that the world needed? Yeah, a very good question. You know, it's funny, when you just said, um, 
when you're going through the ingredients and there's a lot and all of a sudden you like come to an ingredient and then you wonder, oh, do I have an ingredient? I can't find it. Sometimes you got to run out to the store. Right. The reason that we made this cookbook is because um, really exactly for what you just described, a recipe could actually be a really easy recipe, but if it has a lot of ingredients, it just doesn't look right. as easy. And if it doesn't look as easy, we're going to be less likely to do it. Now, sometimes when there's a long list of ingredients, half of them are just spices. Oh, a little teaspoon of, an oreg of oregano and a little yeah. basil, whatever. But still, it makes the recipe longer. And I work with a lot of people who are transitioning to veganism or transitioning even just a healthy eater in general, which means transitioning toward veganism. And, um, and they're looking for really easy things to do. And it, I just figured out that... Um, if there's only a few ingredients, it's going to appear easier. And right. most of the time it is easier, actually, because of that. Well, yeah. So was it uh, particularly because you wanted to make it easy or look easy to make vegan food? Because, you know, people, when they hear, oh, I would love to go vegan, but it's so hard. You know, was, was that one of the motivating factors? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of really wonderful vegan cookbooks out there, but... I didn't really see one that was like a vegan 101. Yeah. Actually, there, there. I take that back. There are a lot of kind of 101 style vegan cookbooks out there, but I was looking for simple yet really, really good. You know, with the few ingredients. Um, so yeah, it was for my clients. It's for people switching to veganism, and it's also for people who are vegan because you know what? I'm vegan, and that's how I cook. All right. All right. <laughs> that's kind of how I cook every day. I really like going for the simple stuff. Right. But now, I mean, it is uh, simple if you're using a fewer number of spices. You do exempt uh, salt and pepper, I think, and yes. water and And, uh, and also margarine. oil. Yeah. If something is sauteed in oil. So some of them will, yeah. I, I mean, I, when I started reading the book, I started paging through it from the back, and I immediately see a, re a recipe with seven ingredients. And I said, ah, this is like Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods where he tells you at the outset that he's going to hike the Appalachian Trail and you get through the whole book and he says, you know, I just gave up about a third of the way through. So I thought, oh man, this isn't really four ingredients, but then I went and actually read the introduction. And so that that's like a, uh, a given that there are certain things that you're going to have. But did you consider like having <laughs> making some spice packet that, you know, some cookbooks say you know, make up this uh, kind of broth or this kind of thing, and then they'll refer back to it in other recipes. Did you, you don't have anything like that. It's just you stick to the most basic spicing. Yeah, in yeah. almost every instance, just really stick to the most basic. I might, I might call for something like Italian seasoning, which is something that you uh -huh. can get real easily store-bought. Yeah. Um, or call for something like a jar of salsa, which obviously has, you know, a bunch of different ingredients in it. For the most part, the book does not call for any ingredients that you have to make somewhere else in the book. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember, uh, yeah, and, and actually the, the point came up about should there be some kind of disclaimer on the cover saying salt, pepper, and oil don't count, you know. <laughs> and I kind of figured, well, you know, I, I, maybe, maybe this wasn't the best attitude, but I figured um, most people are going to buy the book online. Yeah. And they're going to maybe hopefully read the front where it says salt and pepper and oil don't count. Certainly anything that's sautéed in oil can be sautéed in water anyhow or right. just steamed. Right. You know, a lot of people don't even use oil. Right. Um, and a lot of people don't use salt either. So, you know, True. figure why bother. Well, so I was a little surprised at some of the things uh, that I saw in there. What, what would you say if you had to pick one recipe that people wouldn't think you could make in four ingredients? 
Uh, let's see, something that you could think that you wouldn't make with four ingredients. Um, actually, I got there's a recipe that only has three ingredients. Man. That's really good. So here's a little three ingredienter. Okay. Uh, chocolate fondue. Well, all right. Now chocolate yeah. fondue. I mean, that's kind of fun. You got to admit, yeah, this is not true. like an everyday food. Right. But you know, especially for people who think vegans eat nothing but salad. Now, hey, all you healthy people out there. Not this is not everyday food. This is just a fun food. I eat a big salad for breakfast. That's what's kind of my number. It really, really is. But once in a while, especially if non-vegans are hanging out with you yeah. and you want to show them, oh yeah, sure, all this vegan food is great. Look at this. Right. Um, to make vegan fudge, all you have to do is melt a bag of chocolate chips, stir in some of that rice mellow, which is the vegan version of marshmallow cream, mm -hmm. and add a little tiny bit of um, natural peanut butter or almond butter. Cool. And stir it all together. And uh, actually, you could count your strawberries as the fourth ingredient and dip them in the fondue. Uh -huh. Or something like the, uh, what is it called, the uh, Amy's Vegan Pound Cake. Have you ever seen that, that Amy's no, Vegan Pound Amy's Cake? Brand Amy's brand is now making pound a cake? frozen pound cake. It comes in chocolate and orange. Cool. And... Um, it's freaking incredible. I'm telling you what. It, it's yeah. absolutely amazing. So you cut some little cubes of that and, you know, dip that in. So that's, I'd, I'd say something like a dessert, like chocolate fondue. Yeah. Now, I think gone are the days that most of us have fondue pots. That's true. Remember those fondue pots, you know? I remember we had fondue around my kitchen table when I was a child. Now, do the yard sales still have fondue <laughs> pots the way they used to? I think that they're only available in an antique stores. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think many yards. So you got to just serve it right out of the bowl and eat it before it melts. I mean, before it hardens. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, so how did, I mean, you, you conceived of that this would be a good idea for a book, and uh, it's being put out by the book publishing company, and Dinshaw is your collaborator. How did that come about? I mean, what were the logistics there? What did she bring? What did you bring? Yeah, I had created... A ton of recipes and I had submitted the entire manuscript and it was it was ready to go but the um, the publisher felt like some more recipes were needed and I quite honestly I was tapped out at that point and so I called on Anne. I knew that she was very creative in the kitchen I said hey Anne, you want to contribute some recipes to this cookbook and yeah. she was more than happy to do that and and she actually took it upon herself to make it kind of a, a whole fun thing where she was um, coaching um, a rowing, a college rowing team at the time, and she started inviting her students over to her house on Sundays and did this whole thing where she would ask each one of them, you know, what four ingredients, what are your favorite, like your favorite foods, name four foods, or something like that. She had this whole thing, and then she would, her challenge was to take the four items that each one of them reported that they liked and turn it into a recipe. Wow. And so she did this whole, you know, this whole big thing, and... Um, she sent the recipes to me, and then I just chose about 20 of them to put in there, yeah. and uh, and they're great. She has a lot of interesting um, recipes in there that have phyllo dough. Right. She really does the phyllo dough thing really well, and, right. and just um, great desserts that she contributed. And it's nice because her style is very different from mine, so I think it really, her recipes really um, helped to round out the book a lot. But they're just intermingles. Not like people will be reading the Mary Beth part and then read the Anne part. They'll just to go from page to page and be surprised. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, saying how she was making recipes out of people's choices, 
brings up when you're trying to hit four ingredients, it, you can either be doing it in a, in a cumulative fashion by starting and building up ingredients, or you could do what I, when I can, heard about this, what I conceived in my mind was you start with a recipe and like start paring things down and eliminating things. What What's the basic core of this recipe? So we're more of your something where you were, you were starting from you know, a point where a recipe might have more ingredients and you needed to simplify it, or were you coming up with things from the ground up that, uh, you know, you just wanted to put a, mm -hmm. some things together and come up with some totally new recipe? Yeah, I would say it was ground up. Yeah? It really was. And, and the interesting thing is how the cookbook actually originated. Um, doing my ground up thing, you know, I realized that I, I was coming to the Summerfest one year doing a demo on... Um, dishes that only have four ingredients. This was long before the cookbook ever was even thought about. For example, one of them was lentil walnut pate. It was a sautéed onion. It was lentils, cooked lentils, a uh, bunch of walnuts, and a little bit of veganese stirred in at the end. And I did all these recipes that were all four ingredients, and Joe Stepaniak from um, the book publishing company was in the audience, and she really liked the way that the, um, the demo went. Mm -hmm. And so after the demo, she said... Um, Oh, that seems like a pretty good topic for your next book. And I thought, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> this is how I cook all the time. So really, that's kind of where it came out of. Yeah. Joe is, she's, she's, you know, she's got her keen eye out there. She knows what people might want. And I really, really respect her opinion and her editing yeah. skills. Okay. Well, so were there any uh, particular dishes or ingredients that, uh, that you kept returning to, that you want to give a shout out to, that are particularly, you know, helpful for vegan cooking, or did you, you know, I guess I'm, what I'm asking is, you went into this already having done a, a demo on the topic. Did you learn anything about these ingredients in the course of making a book? I think I was already familiar with the ingredients, but I got to give a big shout out to Nutritional Yeast Flakes. I am like a yeah. Nutritional Yeast Flakes head. In my, in my house, my kids and I call it newt yeast, okay. and we have our little newt yeast shaker, and, you know, I make dinner, and my daughter, Ivy, she's like, where's the newt yeast? You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, well, who's got the newt yeast? And um, I do have nutritional yeast flakes in a lot of the recipes, because um, as you probably know, when you blend nutritional yeast flakes with miso, it tastes like cheese, and you put it in some right. kind of a base, and you have some kind of a cheese sauce or a cheese dip. There's a recipe in the book that I really like. Um, it's called... Uh, it's a it's called the, I think nacho cheese spread um, something like that and it's interesting because it's got the base is white beans so white beans go in the food processor which white beans don't have a whole lot of flavor um, white beans is the base and then I add nutritional yeast flakes to make mm -hmm. it taste cheesy salsa to make it taste Mexican-y yeah. and cashew cashew butter yeah. to give it you know, some richness. Right. So it's a really, really nice um, spread. Sounds great. It's a really great spread. Um, I know someone right now who's transitioning to veganism, and he's been eating a ton of hummus. And so i got to, like, show him how to make this so he can have <laughs> some kind of an alternative bean dip in his refrigerator. You know, I don't eat hummus all the time. Okay. We're running out of time, but uh, before we go, I kind of backed into this in that we just started talking about this book because I feel like I know you so well. Everybody must know Mary Beth. But just uh, for people who may not be familiar with Mary Beth Abrams, you, uh, I mean, you edit for Vegetarian Voice, you write for Vegetarian Voice also, 
do a lot of things with NAVs. What uh, what else do people need to know about Mary Beth? Well, I'm a nutritionist. That's my, my main career, and I really love it. I work with people predominantly on weight loss. Also, people come to me sometimes when they want to become vegetarian or vegan, um, people with food allergies who are trying to figure things out. That's my main thing. Um, and, you know, I've got my kids. I spend a lot of time with two vegan children who are both teenagers, vegan since conception. And, um, you know, I like to exercise and swim and go sailing and all those things. And I like people. I like people. Right. Okay. And I, I should mention one of my favorite memories of you is up on the stage at the Pasquarilla Center uh, doing 100 push-ups because Howard had bet you that you couldn't do that right then and there and, and you did and that was that was great so do you have any any things in the hopper any plans that uh, you can let us know about you're just uh, basically taking it as it comes and uh, well I'm thinking on. about my next book yeah. but I'm not going to give out any little oh, secrets no. just oh, yet okay. got to let it really get a little materialized first and also um I really do enjoy the work that I do with NAVS, and I feel very fortunate that they, you know, that they've kind of given me a spot here. It feels very, very nice. Well, and you're certainly an indispensable element of Summerfest for a lot of us, so uh, it's always good to see you here, and it was good to hear about uh, this cookbook, and I can't wait to uh, to try out some of these recipes because I'm telling you, I, I the, the four-ingredient concept really speaks to me, and I think it is going to speak to a lot of people, so... Thank you for doing it, and uh, thanks for being on VegCast. Thank you so much, Vance. You are awesome. <laughs> okay, thank you. Well, I want to go home, but I got no home. want to make love. I want to be good, but it ain't no fun I want to be true, but what is true I want to be kind, with the things I say All I have just slips away Just slips away, slips away Slips away, slips away Yeah, yeah You ask me if I'm here
Yes, that's Maggie Pierce and EJ. We've played a track or two by the full band. We've played EJ Simpson. He has a solo career of his own. We've played uh, Maggie and Pierce as him for her. And uh, we're returning with the full band there. They are Philadelphia area uh, vegetarian musicians, so we try to give them a little uh, push there. And uh, everybody go see Maggie Pierce and EJ when they come to your town or come to Philadelphia in the Philadelphia area so that uh, you can check them out. But while you're ordering your plane tickets, we are going to turn now to the science. Our science fact for VegCast 86. Fish talk to each other, scientist says. It may sound quiet to human ears, says the National Post, but beneath the water the oceans are alive with the sound of talking fish. That's the discovery of marine scientist Shariman M. Ghazali from the University of Auckland. He says, certain kinds of fish talk to each other using popping, growling, and grunting noises. All fish can hear, but not all can make sound. Pops and other sounds made by vibrating their swim bladder, a muscle they can contract, Mr. Ghazali said in an interview with the New Zealand Herald. The fish make the sounds for a number of reasons. Sometimes they are attempting to attract a mate. Other times they are trying to scare off predators. In the case of the damselfish, vocalizations are used to keep divers at bay, Mr. Ghazali said. Mr. Ghazali studied the fish. This story goes on. By placing them in tanks and allowing them to acclimate for a few weeks, he then used instruments to measure vibrations in the water. Once he determined the fish were speaking, in quotes, he attempted to figure out what they were trying to communicate. Mr. Ghazali will be presenting his research this week. This was uh, two weeks ago at the New Zealand Marine Sciences Society conference. So I cannot tell from this write-up whether the story has been published in an academic journal and been peer-reviewed, but it's a uh, scientific study, and it is of some import given that fish are one of our favorite types of animal to attempt to dismiss as objects, as non-sentient, as something that can't feel pain. And it would be funny for them to not be uh, blessed, if you will, uh, with the basic physiological apparatus to feel pain if they are so endowed with apparatus to communicate with each other, to communicate their thoughts with each other. So we'll wrap this one right up with just one last reminder that our concept that humans have some uh, ability to think, some level of sentience that makes us unique uh, and gives us some kind of uh, privilege or right to uh, treat all other animals any way we please is uh, increasingly just being proven to be nothing more than wishful thinking and is a way of thinking that, of course, is irrational, that is based solely upon our uh, kind of infantile attachment to certain habits and behaviors, but it cannot stand up against the marching onslaught of science. 
You know, in listening back to that, I realized that I made kind of an implication that the existence of the power of speech and communication among fish is a significant factor in arguing that they must feel pain. And I failed to point out that it is already scientifically proven that fish feel pain, uh, although your average American is, and your average uh, person around the world probably, is not aware of that. Uh, that it is already a scientific consensus uh, that fish feel pain. Several studies have shown that, but uh, this is just, I guess, another nail in that coffin or a hook through the cheek for uh, for that whole way of thinking. But now we're going to wrap this VegCast up, and I'll get started on the Sounds of Summerfest edition, which is going to be uh, really a super-stuffed edition. I hope you enjoyed this one, and I am out of here. Okay, I want to thank VegCast sponsor LightLife. LightLife makes eating veggie deliciously easy. They say join us and go pro-veggie. And of course, I also want to thank Mary Beth Abrams and uh, also her colleague Ann Dinshaw, whom we did not hear on this interview, but uh, who contributed to that book, and we'll hope to hear her sometime in a future VegCast. I want to thank Maggie Pierce and EJ for supplying us with that track to play on this VegCast. And I want to thank you, the VegCast listener and or subscriber. You can find us on iTunes, and until the sounds of Summerfest, get out there and live like you mean it. Veg.